Welcome to the Home Assistant Podcast, episode number 18. Joining me today is Ryan and Phil. Hey, guys. Hey. Hey, how's it going? Nice to have you on, Ryan. Um, different voice, um, different things to contribute, and we're going to hear a bit later on about how you're using Home Assistant. So are you using um, House.io or are you using Home Assistant like directly, Ryan? Uh, I'm using actually House.io. Yep. On a Pi? Yeah, so I primarily use, uh, for development, I use the um, Home Assistant uh, virtual environment setup, mm-hmm. but I'm a big believer in things should be idiot-proof and the wife acceptance factor. Uh, absolutely. And although she doesn't use much of the UI stuff, the HASIO le- lends itself more towards uh, just simplicity. It's yep. pre-configured. There's no fathom. There's nothing you can accidentally forget to do and then it breaks in the middle of the night when you, you know, oh, I didn't do that one little command. That file wasn't writable and now everything's crashed. Pretty much, yeah. It, it just keeps it simple. It's, it's a nice black box in that way. Yeah. Even I've been converted to SAO, which is saying something, I think. <laughs> there was a little bit of celebration when I said I'd switched. <laughs> I've tried to um, get it to work in just a, a Docker install. Yeah. And it's not going to work. So I yeah. To... That's what I was trying there after, because of this break. I was thinking yep. I wouldn't mind moving actually it onto an old Chromebox I bought back yep. four, mm. four years ago. Um, and it's one of the, not the Asus ones, the, the HP ones. So it, it's fixed with the amount of RAM. They only have one dim, uh, sodium in it. And I thought, well, it runs x86. Or well, X64. So you know what? I could just stick that in the corner. It's reasonably low power, and it would have mm. a bit more grunt for things like the engine Docker running Nginx for the yep. reverse yep. proxies and those bits and pieces. Because I'm not yep. using native, um, the native uh, the native Nginx reverse proxy as part of it. I O. I've got a separate one because I'm got other stuff coming in my little house. Ah, uh, yeah. Um, yeah, I'm running it in a KVM virtual machine. Um, which seems to work. Oh, um, nice! So Docker running inside that. I just ran the 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 uh, actually I ran the dev installer um, because and unlike the generic installer, it gives you um, a, a few extra bits and pieces like graphs and um, container yes. and things like that. So that's quite nice. I have to admit that's the one bit about HasIO that I don't like is the fact. I know I said I like the black box, but when this time when it broke after a reboot, um, not being able to see stuff going past on a shell and <laughs> figure out where it uh, broke was driving me insane because it was, oh, I have to go and get the pie, I have to go and plug it in somewhere else. And <laughs> Yeah, that was always my complaint. Um, and I got a bit of flack for that from people because uh, I was not shy about that complaint on this podcast and got told, use the generic <laughs> installer instead. Um, there is a... De- we... oh, sure, good. Yeah, there, there is a development mode, um, yeah. which gives you SSH into the... Uh, yes, and the rest of it. Yeah, so that's, no, that's kind of helpful, but yeah, I'm much happier running it on a Ubuntu um, 17.1.0. Yeah, um, I think... Part of it as well is a bit of laziness on my part. You know, it's not <laughs> like um, some of the the LCD screens are particularly dear for the the pie. Yeah. And with a small amount of work, you could using the either the I two C or the um, the actual HDMI port, you you could attach a screen and 
just a wee mm. bit too lazy, <laughs> quite frankly. <laughs> it's it again. It goes back to that. The reason I use Hasio is I want it to just work. I don't yeah. want to think about my actual installation. You want to have it as a hub somewhere tucked away in a cupboard and never think about it. It's just always available. Yeah, I, I think that's to me. That's one of the things I would love to see come into Hasio is like um, if you, the way if we, if we could put it behind, if we could put the oh well, I, I know the uh, home assistant images behind a, a supervisor that acts as a kind of uh, gateway. But if we could actually have like two instances or, or like a Raspberry Pi cluster, just mm. using the cluster hat and have like two instances of HASIO. So if one broke, it could just nicely migrate itself to a different uh, node. Yeah, we need, you know, Docker Swarm um, supporting mm. HASIO or something like that. Yeah, pretty much. I think that would be okay. Mm. Maybe a bit geeky for a lot of people, but I would find it useful. Hmm. And I hadn't actually heard of uh, Cluster Hat, so now I am reading about it. <laughs> yes. It, uh, yeah, you can get, uh, I think it's about four Raspberry Pi Zeros, and you plug them onto the Cluster Hat, which plugs on top of a single Raspberry Pi. Hmm. And that wow. gives you, we were using them for demos and work um, on how to use Docker for sort of like we pop-up labs. That is seriously cool. <laughs> uh, I like that um, uh, that server rack that you could get for the Raspberry Pis, but this one's for zero, and then it's got a Pi on top of it. Is that right? Yeah. Mm. yeah. So the big Raspberry Pi, rather than the zero, acts, yeah. uh, to my knowledge, as the host slash cluster manager. Mm-hmm. Um. And then the other four pies are your other nodes, but they can do all of the, the nice swarm stuff like uh, promoting who's going to be the manager and all that stuff between them. Ah, uh, um, nice. It, it's it's pretty clever. Um, one, it wasn't myself that it was one of the other guys in work actually set it all up for us. But yeah, it was a it was a really good bit of work for demo on how Docker worked. It was our primary mm. use case. Um, <laughs> yeah, that's uh quite the distraction i'm just i'm just gonna look and see how much it is <laughs> i think it's worth 30 quid uh, amazon one click checkout yeah so <laughs> you can spend 90 90 pounds and get the pi zeros with it as well that's actually pretty that's reasonable something. so you get the that's hat right. four pi zeros and 16 micro uh four micro sd cards so all you need is the other pi there must be cheaper ways places to buy it than Amazon at that price. I would have thought, I wouldn't have thought more than about sixty quid. Yeah, so that's more my pie. Oh, is that more my pie? Yeah. So let's talk about zero six two. Um, second release of the year, and there's a note at the top of the release post that says that seventy people have contributed code to this one, which is awesome. And um, the the uh, pull release pull release pull request count pull request. is below a hundred, which is Good effort. Um, yeah, as always, props to the the team that actually managed this whole project. Um, and there's a bit of a shout out here to um, Martin and Frank who have been uh, kicking some butt. <laughs> uh, Martin doing code reviews and Frank has been uh, doing more HASIO add-ons because he's a machine with HASIO add-ons. <laughs> crazy he can just knock him out it's awesome it's it's so good yeah 
um, other things in there that, in this release. My Chevy. Um, people can keep an eye on their uh, Chevy Bolt EVs from Home Assistant, which is pretty cool. Um, more and more cars are making their way into the into Home Assistant. I, w- I wish my car could be connected. It'd be real nice to you know turn the aircon or the the heater on remotely. But... Yeah, yeah, all I... these people. How can they afford these fancy cars if they're spending <laughs> so much money on home automation? I know. I <laughs> do you know. Do you know? What it gets me. Like, I I keep thinking to myself, I love all those cars as well. But then it's like you know, Google it's sucking up all our data, and God knows what they're doing with. They're always on mics, but you know, sure, the car manufacturers are bound to be in on that game as well. So mm-hmm. if you're always connected, I I really like. The idea of if it would connect, if I could connect it to my Wi-Fi or my VPN, brilliant. But you sort of wonder <laughs> all this externally collected cloud stuff where it's all going. That's the wee tinfoil hat on, by the way. <laughs> yeah, well, it's like those. Yeah. Um, there was a few car insurance companies that wanted to give out those um, car trackers that you could. Yeah. I know one in Australia has an app actually you can put on your phone while you're driving, and it'll measure up um, how. Good how, you, how you drive, yeah, and how you brake, and then that will somehow, maybe not yet, but in the future, that would affect your, you know, excess and premiums as to how much insurance you pay based on how good a driver you are. Good if you're a good driver, but if you're not a good driver or you like to use the gas pedal a bit more, maybe not so good for you. <laughs> yeah, that um, not that I would do such a thing because that would be very naughty, but yeah, I wouldn't have one of them. <laughs> yeah, couldn't no. you? Like you know, Jeep, can't you spoof GPS so you could just like have it in your house and all make the time. it look like you're, you're driving really really nicely when you're actually not? <laughs> Potentially, yeah. if you're in developer mode, I'm sure we can do it on Android. Yeah, actually, um, Own Tracks had a, a tweet I saw. Um, there's a big uh, war games going on in Las Vegas near Area 51 and all that, and as part of the war games, the U.S. government's testing disabling uh, or jamming GPS signals. So there's a lot of um, little flights that have to uh, divert around the area because they may lose navigation during that oh, war games period. It's going yeah. on for like a month. I read an article about that. I think who was it? somewhere somewhere I think in England or something they were doing that, but it was being used, I think, by criminal gangs to avoid trackers and things. I think, oh, they remember, wow. I think I vaguely remember a, a, an article about they, they did a survey or something to that effect of where there was like blind spots for GPS and th- they found it was to do with, uh, uh, I think blockers. Gangs I, blocking, yeah. Yeah. I, I can't remember the details and it was, it was a while ago. Um, and who knows how accurate it is. It was in the newspaper. Like, <laughs> yeah, but yeah, speaking of, you said, you know, tinfoil hat, it's kind of, uh, as much as we joke about it, it's kind of the whole point of home assistant is, you know, yeah. Getting everything as local as possible. Um, well, that, that's it, and I, as someone, that's one of the reasons I've went with Home Assistant. Um, now, okay, one could say maybe with the Google Homes, I've went in the opposite <laughs> direction, but I, I do see them as a stopgap. There's a project, uh, Mycroft.ai. Um, I think they've just raised a Kickstarter for their V2. Um, they're a bit. The only reason I haven't bought them is they're still a bit there, but you can build the 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 um, voice recognition stuff all locally, and it works. Runs off a of Pi on their version one. Um, it's a really good. It looks like a really good bit of kit. The only problem I have with it is you, where Google and Amazon and all went out is their packaging. Basically, yeah. you know, any of the homebrew stuff I look do looks like a pig's foot beat up on a cup. It, it, yeah. You know, wires everywhere. Just it doesn't, it doesn't. It doesn't look professionally. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You you maybe claim it was some sort of art, but I think that's pushing it. 
Yeah, and there's uh, snips.ai as well, isn't there? Mm. Which is the same kind of thing. Yeah, actually, yeah, I remember interesting to see how good those local voice assistants are compared to mm. Amazon and Google. I, yeah, I, th- I think it probably a lot of it just comes down to the mic quality mm. more than anything else. Um, but I, I don't know; it's it's not an area I'm an expert in. It's yeah, the 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 you know the off the shelf assistants have these you know long distance microarrays and blah de blah, but you don't really know what that actually means. It's probably marketing speak for it has a really good microphone. (laughs) (laughs) It's got the cheapest microphone that we could find in China at the time. (laughs) (laughs) It passed all our tests. Mm. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) Um, Other things in this release, IHC controller integration. Um, Sounds like um, it's more popular in Sweden, Norway, those kind of places. Um, it's, It's just another hub. Um, but good to see, again, you know, more controllers being supported. Um, a couple of our local hardware stores actually have home automation hubs. And they're really cheap, but I'm not brave enough to buy one okay. and, like, spend so the time. I went to um, Officeworks. I don't know if you have the same thing over in New Zealand down, but there was a lot of um, – there's a home automation section just there. It's got, like, a Philips Hue, but it also had um, – just yeah, these other random smart home hubs that I I had never heard of, and yeah. I don't know what frequency what what they use, and just because I hadn't used the brand, I didn't trust them straight. Like I've never heard of that brand before. I'm like, oh, I'm not going to buy that. But it was actually interesting to see other unknown brands coming out, especially into Australia where home automation isn't that big yet, um, and start advertising these things. Was wasn't there something recently about the Z wave being opened up protocol? So there's more sort of Nodian brands now starting to use that, I think. Mm, I potentially. Know, on the spot. Hmm. Right. Well, a lot of them use Zigbee. Um Yeah, so there's a Sing L E D, S E N G L E D, um and uh Jedi Lighting. Those are the two that I've noticed. Um oh and Trust Smart. <laughs> so there's three different brands at um, one of our retailers, and yeah. And will they all be compatible with that new component? No, no. So this is just random controllers, right? And I'm not brave enough to buy them and see if I can <laughs> integrate them. <laughs> Even though I probably should at some point. Um. And the other thing, more blockchain stuff. Um, I actually, it's blockless, but more, you know, online currency distributed, stuff. et cetera. Yeah, so IOTA um, has been, support for that has been added. Um, Does, I haven't seen any support for CryptoKitties. I'm quite surprised. <laughs> yeah. Oh, the backbone of IOT is here. Looking at their website, it's very flashy. Um, but yeah, that's yeah another thing. <laughs> <laughs> There's so many uh, currency stuffs, uh, currency things now. Um, things that's blown up. But hey, can't complain about there being more features in Home Assistant, even though it's something that I don't really do anything with. Um, 
what else? There, there are a couple of breaking changes to Homer platform, mold indicator, and some dev stuff. Um, if you use either of those two, then you'll probably know about it. And then there's been heaps of changes, actually, um, updates um, to a lot of components. Um, yeah, lots of bump version of you know, Kering YouTube DL. Etc. That's cool. Um, I don't think there's actually that much else to talk about with this one, unfortunately. Um, those are the main interesting things. So let's get into the the next part of the show, which is we're going to have a chat to Ryan about the things he's been doing and um, what he's created for the community and things like that. So Ryan, do you want to maybe start with just a bit of a a bit of an intro slash bio, what you, what you do and things like that. Yeah, sure. I'm a, so I, my background is sysadmin slash uh, new world DevOps as we're moving into that space. Um, that's what I do. Uh, most people probably involved in this project probably have some <laughs> affiliation to something along that lines. Indeed. Um, how I got in the auto, home automation and whatnot is I'm exceptionally lazy. Um, and I tried a few years ago to get into OpenHub but it was basically all Java. And, uh, yeah. I don't really get on with Java, so that Yuck. sort of put me off. And I did look at Home Assistant back then. I think it was one of the really early point releases. Um, and then I kind of forgot about it. Um, pretty color syndrome, looked away. Um, hmm. Came back about, was it last year? Last year and started to get it back. Said, you know what? Really, really, I'm really lazy. I want my lights to come on automatically. I want stuff to happen automatically. These switches are for the riffraff. I can't be expected to push the switches. I walk into my house. <laughs> um, it's it's just disgraceful. Uh, so again, another shop around came across OpenHub. I think it's on like OpenHub two or something. Um, brief look at that. It really had not improved in my opinion, um, and it was still very cludgy. So again, had another look at Home Assistant, and actually it ticked quite a few boxes. So after setting that up, um, you know, basically the basics, just a light switch here, um, started to build a bit more. And it was uh, Plex, I think, was the thing that actually really got me involved in the project. Um, what happened was I happened to be watching a, a film, uh, shall we say, on, on my Plex server. And then I was showing someone else, oh, look at this here, really cool app. Home Assistant and the title of the film, it was an embarrassing one, was still chewing, um, even though I hadn't watched it in a day. And I went, uh, hopefully nobody saw that. Uh, <laughs> so I put in a bug report and uh, one of the guys, I think it was uh, Armels, uh, pointed out roughly where the, the, the breakage was and I went in and went, well, okay, it looks like a simple enough fix, so I'll take charge of that and somehow then became the unofficial maintainer for Plex by accident. <laughs> um, through that one really bad issue <laughs> um, so yeah so that was really how i got started with uh, home assistant itself and then it sort of just really spiraled out of control from there it was like okay I've now i got a light that i can control via uh, the other well the other big driving factor was actually it was the bedside light and um, when we did the bedroom i neglected to put plug sockets on my side of the bed so the uh-huh. bedside lights on the wife's side and to turn off the bedside light, I had to clamber over her. <laughs> Which, <laughs> after midnight, tends not to be a good thing to do. She, she does not appreciate that. Uh, so rather than get out of bed and walk around the bed, which is what most normal people would probably do, um, I decided, no, no, there's a better way. And 
that's what really started the spiral to go further down from there was right the light switch has to go on and off um so that was the first thing was i just did that through the app on the phone um then that turned into well why am i turning it off Do you know what that should just turn off after midnight for me and at 6 a.m roughly just before we get up that light should come on because it's one of those energy saving bulbs so it yep. uh, takes me a while to warm up hmm. and then that turned into the wife always leaves the back room lamp on so cue another wall wart being plugged in and being added to home assistant which then spiraled to okay well that should turn on when we walk into the room so i clearly need a motion sensor in the room um, that also detects temperature of the room <laughs> and uh, I mean, i'm sure you guys can relate to how quickly it spirals <laughs> oh yeah it's out of control very quickly and then yeah and then the sort of the most recent one was then the the kettle sensor um as i was saying sort of before the show started they i i drink a lot of tea the wife has commented how much tea i drink and um, probably every half hour i've got a cup being made for myself um so i got one of the wall warts plugged into the kettle and went well okay we can tell when the kettle's off because it's at zero watts and we can tell when the kettle's on because it's on more than zero watts and i think it was actually somebody did this with a washing machine either on this podcast or or uh, yeah that would have been me somewhere else uh, so that, that was sort of a bit of an inspiration for it um and then because black friday last year i got some really good deals on the google home minis on the google home uh it turned into well you know what i want my kettle to tell me when it's finished boiling because i constantly forget to go and pour the hot water into the cup <laughs> um i know there's something wrong with me that i think but uh yeah so it now puts an announcement out across the whole house on all of the google homes so no matter which room i'm in you get kettle boiled which works actually really well believe it or not when you've got visitors so you offer oh, your visitor a tea or a coffee and rather than stand and watch the kettle while they're sitting on their own in the room you can sit in the room with them or and rather than forget about your kettle that you've just boiled and then sort of die of thirst before leaving your house <laughs> There's a nice announcement just goes across all of the Google Homes saying kettles boiled and you no problem off you go and make the cup of tea or coffee. It really worked well and to the point that although the wife was annoyed for the first few days of my every half hour it going kettle boiled, um, <laughs> the home assistant unfortunately broke due to a corrupted SD card on the uh, on the Raspberry Pi. So that's it, been down for a few days and then I've had to travel for business, so it still hasn't been fixed. But the wife was making me a cup of tea before um, one day when we were both working from home. And sort of about an hour and a half later, I came out, you know, making the, <gasps> any chance of that cup of tea, love? And, uh, <laughs> oh, I completely forgot. It didn't tell me. <laughs> so it, it went from sort of, that's really annoying to she can't actually make a cup of tea without it now. <laughs> yeah. So Hey, everyone. I just wanted to take a minute to talk about the Eufy video lock. It's a smart lock that's really easy to set up with just a Phillips screwdriver and no extra drilling. It's got a keyless entry, so you don't need to worry about fumbling with the keys when your hands are full. Also, you don't need to worry about handing out extra keys when you're in a pinch, your kids losing them, or people copying the key and passing it around to each other. Something else I like about the Eufy Video Lock is that it has a camera built in and it works as a doorbell as well. Personally, I think the Eufy video lock is great for apartments or cottages where you can't necessarily add extra holes for a video doorbell. My favorite part about it though is that there isn't a monthly fee and your recordings are locally stored, so you don't have to worry about someone else owning your doorbell data. You can find it on Amazon, or if you want to know more, 
search Eufy Video Lock, that's E-U-F-Y Video Lock, or visit eufyofficial.com slash video lock to see how you can gain complete control of your door. Does the announcement come along on every time you make a cup of tea? So, yes, uh, is the short answer because that is my need, as it were. Um, But also no, in the sense that what I've done is, and the, the way the automation works is whenever you turn the kettle on, there's an automation watches for the state change for 30 seconds. So the, once the kettle is on for 30 seconds, it then turns on the announcement, um, one which waits for the off state change to right. then make the announcement. The idea behind that is um, sometimes when we're making the kids hot water bottles or stuff, we'll boil the kettle and then reboil it very quickly within that sort of 30 seconds. Yep, yep. Um, you don't kind of want it when you're standing right in front of it to tell you the kettle's boiled because you're, yes, I know that I'm here. Um, or if you sort of start to make a cup of tea or something like that, and then within sort of 30 seconds, you go, actually, I don't want a cup of tea. I'd rather a beer or something. Then you mm-hmm. knock it back off. Yeah. So one of the things I found with um, my washing machine was that uh, once the power turned off, because it would automatically turn off once it was done its cycle, um, you wouldn't be able to tell if the if you'd actually taken the clothes out or if you um, got to the clothes before the automation had finished and announced to everyone, you then didn't want you know to get an announcement to say, hey, the washing machine's done while you're hanging the washing out. So what I did was I put a door window sensor on the door, and I'm guessing you could do something similar with the kettle. So if you pick up the kettle before the announcement gets announced, you would then know that, okay, I've already dealt with the kettle. I don't need to send the announcement out. So you're, you're going to uh, – I'm not really sure I want to admit to this on, on a public podcast, <laughs> but – so I've went out and I've actually bought on eBay a tease made um, from the 70s. Um, and the way they work is they've got a plate on the bottom, which is a mechanical switch. Actually, has, it's a spring switch. So it's, a, so it's the spring is of a strength that when the, the kettle is filled, the plate is fully flat down and the switch is connected. And when the kettle boils, it works the way those wee um, percolators for coffee things work, where the, the water hot water boils and goes up the middle to, right. to make your espresso. Um so when the water goes up that pipe into your out of your um, kettle into your teapot, the kettle then becomes lighter and the trip switch is untripped. Um, ah. So I've got a couple of ESP32s. And the plan is to, I don't have a 3D, a 3D printer just arrived as well. The plan is to actually make uh, a kettle trip switch <laughs> that does that. <laughs> Partly for reasons of it can detect when the kettle is full. So I want a cup of, so when my light in my bedroom goes on at 6am, I also want my kettle to be boiled and have the tea in the teapot waiting for me as the teas made is want to do. Um, but it's sort of wired from the seventies and the one yep. I got, it was from a, um, it was from a smoker's house and, a, and I'm a non-smoker. So <laughs> it, it, it's not the most pleasant of things at the minute. Um, but the idea is that I'll, I'll get rid of that. Um, take the, mecha- the the trip mechanism uh, and, and reuse that for my own kettle so that my kettle can boil itself. Um, the other reason for it is, again, back to me being really lazy, sometimes I'll be in the other room and say, hey, I want a cup of tea. I'll be able to have a sense that sen- a binary sensor attached to that to say whether, depending on the status of that connection, whether the kettle is full of water or empty so you don't boil it dry. So I should be able exactly, to yeah, the kettle. Do that. that was a big thing in it. Um, because there's lots and lots out there invested in coffee makers. And although I do drink the odd bit of coffee, I wouldn't be a heavy drinker of it. But nobody seems to really be doing the same thing for tea. Hmm. Yeah, those those dual window sensors are awesome. You know, just, you know, the magnetic sensors. I've actually 
bought a whole bunch and I'm going to put them on the recliner chairs in our lounge. Because if you're reclined in the chair, you're probably not moving around very much, which means the lights go yeah. off. But nice. Yeah. Get into home assistance so that you can go, well, there's definitely someone in that chair, so let's keep the lights on. <laughs> that's that's cool. Because I, I, I was thinking about, you just mentioned the capacitive one for the bed. and. Hmm. That was one that really tickled my fancy. It was like I really would fancy doing that for the bed. I don't know if the wife would agree to me putting electrodes under the bed. She might think I might get her. <laughs> yeah, it's yeah, exactly. It's the the more they have that kind of data you can put in, the better. Mm. So yeah, so I think the other thing I was working on was it was kind of a project before Christmas was the ESP thirty twos. Um, I don't know how much you guys know about them, but the they're basically a the newer version of the 8266, uh, the Wi-Fi things that are using a lot of the projects, mm-hmm. except the 32, slightly better processor, but also has Bluetooth. Um, mm. So what I was thinking was, and there's code in my repository, um, although it's very, very junior code. My C is not as good as it used to be. Um, but I sort of had this theory that if you bought one of the Walworts, uh, the cheap ones, and don't try this at home, boys and girls, uh, but the ones with like the USB bits on the side and an ESP32, then you could solder the ESP32 to the USB port to give you always on par. And if you put the right bit of code on the uh, the microchip, uh, the, uh, the chip, you would be able to actually broadcast a beacon for that room. So you could broadcast an iBeacon out to say, you know, basically, so if you had your phone detecting iBeacons, then it would pick that up. But equally, it could listen for iBeacons. So if you used one of the, those um, Chinese iBeacons that, that go on your wrist, like a like a Fitbit kind of style, mm. then that one would detect it. So it would give you feedback. And then you could either use MQTT or a REST call directly to Home Assistant to actually log that either a beacon has been detected or a beacon has went out of range or... It's giving you that full feedback loop. Um, as I say, it, I've managed to get it to broadcast and listen, but it, I, I'm not sure it can do both. I haven't got any async in it, so it broadcasts for a second and then it listens for a second. So mm. it's not perfect there, but um, I think with a bit more work or somebody smarter than myself um, could maybe get that working, and that would be, I think, a really cool thing for presence detection because that's the big thing I have problems with in rooms at the moment. Yeah, so mm-hmm. one of the things when I started with Home Assistant was detecting when we had got home um, before we moved over to Bluetooth. And one of the things I was going to experiment with was getting those like RFID wristbands that you get when you go to a gym. Yes. Um, and then as you walk in, you would just tap to say, hey, I'm home. And then Home Assistant would know who tapped on and who's home. The problem was I found my fiance wouldn't uh, then tap. tap off. And so the house wouldn't know that we had left. So Bluetooth is... Um, has fixed all that and we don't even have to tap on or anything. But it's interesting that uh, I was struggling to find some nicely designed RFID wristbands. But if there's some nice ones for this Bluetooth, that might be good for room presence. We don't have to tap on. You just wear it and then you can walk around and things happen. I think nice might be stretching it, to be honest. But uh, about, I think they're about coin, um, slightly bigger than coin battery size. Um, right. I look at them. I think. I think they're on Banggood or AliExpress or one of those ones or, or Gearbest. It was one of the three. Yep. Um, but the one I saw was it was like a how would you describe it? Sort of like a say a two pence piece or a two euro piece kind of size, um, mm-hmm. and covered in blue silicon. 
that just went around your wrist. Yes, yeah, I've seen those. Yeah, it, 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 it certainly wasn't fancy. Um, no, then, it looks like you're wearing a ro- uh, watch, but it's not really a watch. <laughs> yeah, but then I suppose if you did wear a watch, if you actually wear a watch user, you, a bit of super glue, um, you could mm, put one on put the bottom the of your wa- under yeah. the watch, potentially. Uh, might hide. I, I don't know about sizes, but that might be something to look at. Mm, that's a good idea. So on RFID and everything, um, one of my friends has uh, recently had a NFC chip implanted in her hand. Oh, um, nice. I'm oh, so jealous. Nice. And she's convinced me to do the same. Oh, so you're going to do it? Yeah, I think so. Awesome. How, how does so it work on the airports? Do you get strip searched? <laughs> Apparently there's not <laughs> enough metal in it to set it off. Um, so I'm thinking RFID on one side and <laughs> NFC on the other so that I've got both. Um. Yeah, so that'll be interesting. Apparently, it's actually quite painless if you get the right, you know, um, anesthetic cream and all that kind of stuff. Um, and the the RFID chip is reprogrammable, so I'd probably be able to clone my work access card yes, exactly. onto it. That would be an awesome party trick to be able to walk up yeah. to the door at work and scan my hand to get in the door. <laughs> Absolutely. Are they, partic- are they particularly dear to get done? Um, it's about sixty US dollars, I think. That's not bad. Um, for the for the thing, and then I uh, there's no designated people that do it in New Zealand, so I'm gonna have to go around the body mod shops and try and convince someone to do it for me. Oh right, so that was gonna be my next question: where you can actually get it done? Yeah, so they suggest you go around all the like piercing places and everything like that. Um, I let, let us know yet. before you get it done, so that if we don't see you for a few weeks, we know what's happened. <laughs> <laughs> I probably have to video it. Yeah, that, mm, that's good. Yeah. It it seems to be a bit of a, a like I remember reading about the the body mod culture of the I think they were using magnets in the fingertips was one. Yeah, I really want that it's, too. Uh, it's yeah, it's it's definitely interesting. I, I do like some of the the ideas behind the like the like the RFID and the microchips um, being able to sort of just spend money. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, so, so if you get the RFID chip in your hand and you want to, say, program it for your office lock, is that the only thing you can then use or you can't use, like, your hand for anything else? Well, uh, it, it's just, a, you know, it's just a string, an ID string on the RFID. Right. So I can, use, I, you know, if I do it to my office one, then I can tell yeah. my RFID system at home to use that same ID, things like that. So yeah, that works, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that's cool. Hmm. So, yeah, I haven't actually pulled the trigger on it yet, but because um, money, but I'll get there mm-hmm. eventually. Now, how could you how could you integrate that into Home Assistant? <laughs> Detect your presence with the RFID in it? <laughs> yeah, well, the, because they're so okay. small, they're actually quite hard to read, so I will actually have to you know, tag tag it. Um, the main thing I'm probably going to use it for is to you know, unlock the door when I arrive, other than use Bluetooth or whatever to do that. You can get um a little uh, RFID reader, USB reader that plugs mm. into a Raspberry Pi, and so then you can have it um just when it detects something on the RFID, it will then just send out an MQTT message, and then Home Assistant can pick that up and unlock yeah. the door or something yeah. like that. Yeah, I've got a ton of life. USB RFID readers. I just haven't done anything with them yet. Yeah, well, the, if I remember rightly as well, the the RFID its range is controlled actually by the reader, not the the chip. So. If you actually cleverly place them in a room, like under coffee tables and stuff, that would be 
and set the power to the right sort of output, mm. you could actually do presence detection on a room basis because you could pretty much guarantee that the the reader wouldn't read outside that room. Yeah, the the you know long range RFID readers are very expensive. Unfortunately. Um but yeah, otherwise that would be perfect, but yeah, I'm afraid not. But my my Bluetooth presence detection for rooms is working pretty well, so I can't really complain too much there. As long as you carry your phone or a little dongle with you, right? Yeah. Um I just went and bought some of those, you know, those things you put your keys on and you pull it out and yeah. it kind of extends out and you let go and it flies back. You just, you know, chuck that on your on your belt and it's not too intrusive. That's the thing that all the cool kids wear. <laughs> I have a bunch of them for my various clients at work anyway, so it doesn't really bother me that much. So you just keep that on you and then home system will know where you are in the house. Yep, exactly. Nice. Right. Um, Ryan, tell us about the new CLI for HESIO. Yeah, so it was again another one of my pretty colorisms. Um, I was chatting to, I think it was Pascal and Frenrich uh, just before Christmas, uh, just before Christmas. Um, and the, the previous HASIO was, uh, the CLI was actually just a bash script that took a couple of options and fired it off to the REST API. Um, and they sort of expressed a desire to rewrite that. So I went off and started doing a wee bit in Python because the rest of uh, Home Assistant is in Python, so why not, I thought. Um, but when I sort of went, hey, this is what I've got so far, guys, they were sort of a wee bit hesitant around it because it was as 30 meg to their um, <laughs> Docker images, which is quite hefty mm-hmm. <laughs> for the, for the add-ins. Um, and it was, so the sort of suggest, you know, can we not redo that? Maybe you do it in something uh, that just produce a binary rather than uh, a scripting language. Um, so the suggested Go, and I've never looked at Go before, uh, other than, oh, yeah, that's a language that Google have. Wonderful. Um, <laughs> that was pretty much my knowledge of Go beforehand. Uh, yeah, so then I, I sat down and started to hack away at it. And we basically got, within a couple of days, we had parity with um, what the current uh, script would let us do. Um, and then just there, I think it was about a week or two ago, I've checked in the changes now for us to be able to do things like the the snapshotting feature that is in has.io is now exposed through the CLI. Um, yeah, so it should be able to hit pretty much now every endpoint that uh, Pascal's uh, exposed. Um, it gives you opportunities for scripting. So if you have stuff that you want to do and hit from the command line, you can now do it through the, the CLI, and it just sends the REST call to the endpoint inside Haas. Um, so let's assume that you're running HASIO on a Raspberry Pi. Would you then first SSH into the Pi to then execute yes. these commands? Right. Yeah. Um, I was actually quite surprised. Was, somebody was using it because uh, I, I woke up a few weeks ago, and I, I don't really use Twitter. And I happened to see a, something, a tweet about Home Assistant, and I happened to look at it. That was some guy saying, wow, I don't know when HASIO managed to, re- or the CLI returned uh, JSON, but this is awesome. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it, was a bit, it was quite a bit of an uplift like, to see that somebody was actually using it, but it returns all the data right back in JSON for other people to actually use because it's structured. So if you wanted to tie that in into scripting elsewhere or to pass that out, then you, you kind of can now. Um, just look at that. It's all under the the... Uh, hasio cli repository 
so contributions are welcome. Um, but yeah, so you can now pull back Home Assistant logs, info. You can restart it, stop and start it, update it. Uh, same with the, sort of the supervisor. Um, you can change some of the network options and then snapshots. You can now list, get some info, reload snapshots, create new ones, restore and remove. Um, so if you were doing stuff, if you were testing, uh, testing, changing something in one of the the add-ons, you can now basically restore and reload the add-on if you need to by taking snapshots, which hmm. I'm sure helps some people out there. And so this is a way for you to do like a, a reboot of the whole pie from the command line if you need to, for whatever reason. Because uh, I think it does say host yes, reboot it, there. It can call the host, yeah. Right, yep. So the, the previous version, the, the bash script did let you do that. Um, sort of the first three, uh, Home Assist, yeah, there's a, in the readme, there's the supported endpoints. So Home Assistant Supervisor and Host. Um, of them, the only new features really added was info for the um, Home Assistant one. And I actually think that was it. That was the only new feature added there. Or, yeah, that was the only new feature there. I think Update now does some cool stuff. Let me just check the code on that one. Um, it's one of those things you sort of do stuff and then you can't remember what you've done yeah this is pretty cool um, the JSON is actually kind of helpful um, by the looks of it what, one thing I do um, I know I shouldn't really have to but I reboot uh, or restart Home Assistant every night because it seems to keep things a bit more stable especially my uh, my Wemo switches and everything because they're so unbelievably unreliable um, but I just kind of blindly tell it to restart, so it might be nice to actually be able to pass the output and have a bit more control over it than waking up in the morning and going, I wonder if Home Assistant's running today. <laughs> yeah, so there's, there's a, I think there's a couple of features I'd like to add. One is the update. Um, I'd like to add a rollback. I haven't got around to doing it yet, but one of the things is, you know, as we've seen, we've had a, a few point releases recently. Um where stuff's not been working on a on day one, or it's been broken between a couple of versions, people need to roll back. But to do it today, it's still a bit clumsy. So you would have to run sort of HasIO, Home Assistant, update, and then um, you can pass in the version number. Uh, you can set the version equals string. Um, so I'd like to make that a wee bit easier for people. I think it's one. It's all right if you if you're comfortable with the command line, but if you, if you're not, it's a bit much. Um, mm. The other thing I've done it with it is it's not well documented actually, um, but there's short forms now for the uh, the subcommands. So instead of having to actually type Home Assistant, you can just type HA. Nice. Uh, that's cool. Um, supervisors just SU, I think. Um, snapshots SN. The idea was I'm really lazy in case that didn't come across elsewhere in the, the interview <laughs> <laughs> chat. Uh, but yeah, so I don't like typing long strings out. So being able to type HASIOHA info is much more um, to my palate than typing HASIO Home Assistant info. Yeah. <laughs> Those extra 10 characters, just to tie my fingers. Uh, so yeah, so that, that's really the, it's not a particularly exciting topic. Um, it's very hard to make a, a command line exciting, I'm afraid. <laughs> uh, it doesn't have to be exciting. It's still a good thing to know about. Um, and that's what I one of the, kind of go nice, for here. Yeah, well, on. one of the nice challenges was actually uh, we've got a it, it's a full CI/CD pipeline on this now. Um, and we run off one of the builds as soon as we do the the final um, merge, pushing the tag up. It actually deploys the binaries directly up into the into the releases for me. So that was one of the nicer parts of it. 
Awesome. That's, that's my geeky hat on. That is. is that just uh, using Travis? Yeah, yeah, it uses Travis. So with Travis, you can um, set up a, a deploy. Um, so there's one of the environments to set up with a before deploy, um, which basically does the build of each of the architectures we support. And then it basically checks for, um, it's, you put an API key in, in the releases provider. Um, and what that does is we've got then a conditional at the bottom that just sort of says, right, if it's been tagged and if the repo is Home Assistant HASIO CLI and the branch is master, then you can deploy it. Um, and it just pushes it up there. It means that I basically go in and follow the same process as the guys in the main Home Assistant for creating the release notes. And once I've submitted the tag, it gets updated with the correct assets. Yeah, that's nice. nice. Yeah, well, you know, automation's kind of what we're all about, isn't it? Um, I don't know if you'd call it lazy. You may you may feel that you're lazy, but I think that it's, you know, yeah, it, it does all these things and you've got more time to do other interesting things like make the automation better. <laughs> That's just yeah. DevOps automation makes it so you don't have to accidentally yeah. forget that one step and then the build breaks. Yeah, it's, it, it's, it's great for consistency. It means that anyone... To- when we know the, the the quality of the binaries, but when they're going out, is good. Yeah, especially with you know, yeah, you don't want to introduce bugs into someone's house. <laughs> it's a it's a bit of responsibility, really, isn't it? Yeah, uh, yeah. I think uh, I think it, it, there's a lot of potential there as well for if we can call the whole um, home assistant API from that. That may actually in the future going forward, that may be a way of people doing other interesting automation pieces. Um, hmm. Through you just SSH, you know, your way out, your reverse proxy is broken and you can't get to Home Assistant. What do you do? Well, you can maybe SSH in if your SSH access is still up and potentially restart Home Assistant that way. I like that. That's a good idea. Hmm. All right. Um, I don't have anything else. Do you guys have anything else you want to talk about, even if it's, you know, vaguely related to home automation? <laughs> uh, not this week. No, but I think just the only other thing is the V V2 for the kettle, for anyone that's interested, is uh, I reckon you can do the same thing with toasters. Hmm. So based on the wattage, you should be able to tell how many um, sides are on and off at any one time. So if you've got one of those um, four-slot or two-slot toasters, you could potentially, based on the wattage, say one side is down and one side is just popped or both sides are still down. So hmm. cu- coupling that with a cup of tea for me, so having a le- uh, <laughs> Echo or um, Google tell me that uh, my kettle is boiled and my toast is popped in the morning <laughs> would be reassuring. Breakfast is served. Yeah, I just, I just yeah. need that robot in the middle to actually serve it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe we could go Wallace and Gromit style and just tilt the toaster a little bit so it pops onto the plate already. Yeah, that's it's definitely worth a try. Yeah, well, my new toaster is actually quite violent, so when it pops, the toast kind of flies into the air and then back into the <laughs> slot. So you really could do it then? Yeah, I probably could. <laughs> uh, don't give me ideas. My wife will kill me. All right. Thanks, guys. It's been another good episode. It's been a little bit rambly, but apparently our listeners don't care <laughs> because we still get all this positive feedback. You know, another awesome show. 
etc etc so i guess we'll just continue on and thanks for coming on right good to have a, yeah have a good to have a new voice and you know hear from more people that are commu- uh, that are contributing to the community yeah and thanks phil as well and um Unfortunately, no Rowan this week. He is at a basketball game. Oh, so sad for him. Mm, Tough life. Thanks, guys. Cheers. Cheers. Cheers.